and we start in verse 10. And if you're visiting, uh, this, is, uh, this is the important stuff. Prayer time, of course, fellowship, of course, but we really do take God's Word seriously. Here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and we start in verse 10. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. Here we are, chapter 6, verse 10, and this is God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we'll stop there. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I guess it's been about three or four years since The Avengers came out, the movie The Avengers, and of course Spider-Man 2 is in the theater right now and all that stuff. But I, I, Tammy and I were probably the only two people on. Well, the, we went with the rights. You hated The Avengers too. We went with you guys. Yeah. You don't remember? Okay. Well, anyway, we were probably the only people on earth who hated The Avengers. And, you know, I was going, oh, it was just horrible. And people are going, what? It was The Avengers. It was the perfect combination. Everybody had a spot, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just overloaded. I'm just... I'm, I'm weary of the superhero genre. I don't know about you or not. I mean, it just gets a little bit old and all these power. Like even in the Avengers, Scarlett Johansson, you know, she's got a pistol. That's a really awesome superpower. I mean, I have a pistol. That's my superpower, you know. Anyway, it just gets kind of old. Or like Spider-Man. Anybody who, raise your hand if you've been bit by a spider. Can you imagine a radioactive spider bite? I mean, who knows what's under that leotard? Um, and so... <clears throat> The, the whole superhero genre just gets so old to me, but apparently, we can take a lesson from it, apparently there's some kind of seemingly universal longing for someone who's super, someone who's got supernatural powers, powers that are greater than the world around us. And uh, of course, you know, pre-aviation, who didn't dream of flying? And pre-deep uh, uh, ocean exploration, who didn't wonder what was on the bottom of the ocean and so on? A lot of it is that we're just imaginative and creative and we have these creative characters and all that stuff. I get it and all. But I think that um, one of the reasons we want to concoct superhero after superhero after superhero with superpower after superpower is that there's something greater going on. I think we, we concoct those things, not just to transcend the limitations of human life, but to fix what's broken with human life. I mean, you notice that the superheroes aren't just flying around for personal pleasure. They're just not, uh, you know, lifting heavy stuff just for fun. They've got a mission. There's, there's a rescue mission going on all the time, and they have uh, powers that are supernatural. And uh, I really think that's the, the whole point. Um, uh, I, I think that we all face some kind of internal moral dilemma, and we all know. I think that superheroes are a testimony to the fact that we know that the world's broken. Um, we know that we need help, some kind of help that's outside ourselves. And I'm not saying that you can't uh, overcome adversity, that you can't have goals and meet those goals and do fantastic things and so on. But I think that, uh, speaking from experience here in my own life, I think there's such an internal dilemma that suggests that we need some kind of help that's from outside of us. 
And so this is said in a gospel context here. It is said to the redeemed, the Apostle Paul is writing this to uh, believing uh, Gentile Christians. He's writing to people in whom a supernatural work has already taken place because they have eyes to see, ears to hear, they're receptive to the gospel, and so on. And so if you ask me what the main idea is today, I think it is this. And we'll talk about this more next week too. Supernatural battles can be won but only by supernatural strength. And uh, let's look at our first point together, uh, right from the text, strength and strength. What is that talking about? Look at verse 10. Finally, it says, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So there you have, be strong and the strength of God's might. But you notice that the verse starts with the word finally. And because it has the word finally in it, we immediately know that this is somehow hooked to a body of writing that's come right before it. Uh, It's the end of a package of ideas. And I think it's helpful to look at the context in two different ways, all right? So way number one, the the first context I'd like to show you is that really starting in chapter 5, verse 22, um, the, the, the whole application of the gospel speaks to the worshiping family unit. From chapter 5, 22 and on, it's the worshiping family unit. You've got, uh, in verse 22, the way wives are to relate to their own husbands and the way husbands are to relate to their own wives. Uh, you also have um, the way children are to relate to their parents follows that. And then you have uh, the way the Savior of the gospel governs all aspects of service to one another. Even in an extreme situation with a slave and a master or a bondservant and a master, even then the gospel superintends um, those relationships where each person in that relationship needs to be responding as a believer uh, in a Christ-like and um, spirit-enabled way. And so that, that's when we get the word finally in verse 10. Finally, that stuff said, this household context said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so what I think is so powerful about that is that chapter 5, verse 22 the first context we're looking at, is that you've got this household motif, right? You've got uh, what's come before the gospel. Then you've got this household motif where you have people relating to one another as God wants them to relate to one another. And when it gets to the end of that discussion, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That would be you. And I think that it is... um, being put in a very personal context. Now, I know that the Apostle Paul is writing to a very large audience. It's not just one church. It's more than one church. Um, I, know that, um, I, I know that this is to be spread around and all that, but um, I, I think this, ladies and gentlemen, that um, um, we're, we're not allowed to live in isolation. It's true. But God has saved for himself this big people, Um, Christ has redeemed for himself this church. But this body, this fellowship, this, this, this group of people belonging to God is made up of lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. And here's where it gets really personal. You've got all this relating going on and all this relating. And then finally, says Paul, let's get down to the recesses uh, the private places of your own heart and your own personal battles. Be strong in the Lord. So that's the that's the first context I think we can look in this in look at this in, and and there's a greater context too. You can look at it in the context of the entire book of Ephesians. Okay, so let's look at it that way. 
Chapters 1 and 2, what is it basically talking about in chapters 1 and 2? Well, you've got this eternal God who loved us and decided to save us. Chapters 1 and 2. Then you have chapters 3 and 4. And you've got the saved people, um, and they're supposed to be unified in a profound way. And then you've got chapters 5 and 6, which you've got love and sacrifice uh, starting in the home, and those things display God's grace in the way we interact with each other. So that's, a, that's an even greater context. But you know this. Notice that the great context and the smaller context that's, that's talking about this household motif brings us to the same place. The place is this. If God has accomplished what he already has in our lives, if he's already done a supernatural work in our lives, he will equip us to the life uh, that he's graciously given us to live. If he's saved us, if he's done all these things, if he's done this redemptive work, if he's spared no expense, he's not just going to leave us. He's going to be with us. He's going to help, he's gonna help us. Um, he's going to give us grace. And that's why it says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Notice it doesn't say, be strong like a pioneer in the Old West. Like a rugged individualist, be strong. doesn't say that at all. It says, be strong. Yeah, you be strong, but you do it in the strength of God's might. Uh, the Lord's strength is the source, not you. You've got absolutely spiritually nothing. And if you believe anything at all about the gospel as it's been presented throughout the entire book of Ephesians, you know that God is the driving force behind redemption. I mean, he's the one who intrudes into human history. You know, we always say <coughs> that um, God's got a, there's a plan of salvation. Well, guess what? Somebody planned it. God's the instigator, and that's the whole point of Ephesians. And so there are no attempts uh, to uh, win gold stars for the super moral people. That's not this gospel at all. Yet we're told to be strong in the Lord <clears throat> and in the strength of his might. And so two applications for you on this point. First application is this, is that um, his strength is really our strength. We'll talk about that more in a second. His strength really is our strength. He is the source. He is the one that enables us. And yet at the same time, we really are told to be strong. It doesn't just say kick back See what happens. See what God does. Just let go. It says, be strong. You do something. Of course, it's God's strength working in you. But it's this cooperative effort. Be strong. It's not a saving thing, but it's in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. Be strong because it's God's strength working in you. That means that we can do nothing without God working in and through us. But it means that we're to jump in and do something with all our energy and enthusiastically uh, engage with God and love holy things. Now, keep your finger there. I want to show you something in uh, the book of Judges. So go left. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And uh, we'll be in Judges chapter 6. And um, this is the story of this guy named Gideon. And uh, in verse 11 of the story, this, this, the, the angel of the Lord comes to him. And um, 
there, there's a there's a problem. The Midianites are in control, and uh, Gideon's uh, beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. He's like, "What wine press? There's no wine press here. It's a it's just a humble wheat station going on here." And so he's trying to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, uh, in the middle of verse twelve, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." Now. I love that line, and I laughed out loud at it when I was reading it, because Gideon is not a mighty man of valor. That's like, that's like coming to me. Hey, mighty man of valor. Really? Are you serious? Um, but that's what the angel says. Um, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why did all this happen? And so on. In verse 14, it says, and the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in this might of yours. Now, if you've got an NIV, it says this, go in the strength you have. And Gideon's like, Sheba to what? I, I don't have any. But is that not awesome? You, you, you mighty man of valor, who, me? Uh, go in the strength you have. I don't have any. And uh, he said to him, please, Lord, verse 15, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Bunch of wimps. And I am the least in my father's house, the biggest wimp of the wimps. You're calling me almighty man of valor. You're telling me to go in the strength I have. Well, how can that be? And verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Christian life. God's not saying, pull it together, man. Do better. What's wrong with you? Can't you give something back to Jesus? That's not what God's saying. God is saying, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Now go in the power I've supplied for you. You're about to, that was totally fake. Um, <laughs> you know, you're about to sing a debtor to mercy alone. Oh, I lost my point. Uh, <laughs> uh Oh, yeah, you're about to sing a debtor to mercy alone out there in, in big church. And uh, it's talking about our eternal security, um, as sure as the earnest is given. And people sing that line, they go, bah, 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 earnest is given. They don't even know what it means. But the, the earnest is the Holy Spirit of God. He's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That comes from Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. When you sing that in A Debtor to Mercy Alone, that word earnest, you're thinking, you should be thinking of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm telling you, that's the application for you. That's the Christian life. God has redeemed you. He won't leave you hanging. All right, our second point. Uh, standing against a real adversary. Look at verse 11 of our passage back in Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, that, that expression, whole armor of God, will be used again in just a couple of verses, and um, we'll go over it in much greater detail next week. We'll still be in this. Um, and it'll be very real and very encouraging for your life. But notice straight away the coupling, again, of what God is doing and what we're expected to do. Look at it again. We're to put on the whole armor of God. We're not to not put on the whole armor of God. We're to do something. We're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But you notice that it's the whole armor of God. 
so that we can stand. In fact, that, that, that theme, stand firm, look at it at the end of verse uh, 13. Stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. Uh, end of verse 11, stand against the schemes of the devil. That, that, that's an end goal. And um, God is doing work, and we're to cooperate with him. So again, here's an application for you. If I were to uh, explain it to a small child, I may say something like, um, God's going to take care of you no matter what, so you can be brave. It's a good way to explain it, isn't it? God's not going to give up on you. He's going to take care of you no matter what, so you can be brave in this life. That's your application. God has done this thing. He's not going to give up on you. And notice, too, look at verse 11. Uh, it tells us something about this real adversary. Um, schemes of the devil. Schemes. Now, frankly, I think um, in our modern world or postmodern or posthuman or whatever it is right now, um, the idea of an actual personal devil has kind of been frosted over. In fact, I think Christians are a little embarrassed by the idea that there's a personal adversary who is the devil. Uh, further, we're sold out to grace. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I think about the devil, and I, I, I tend to think this. This is completely unwise of me. Um, but I tend to think, devil schmevel. I don't need him tempting me to goof me up. I can goof myself up. I mean, I got so much turmoil and entanglement in my heart, and my motives are so selfish and all that. And I mean, why, why even worry about a, a real adversary when I'm so goofed up? Uh, Andrew Bryan, I think that's your cue. Is Andrew with you? Okay. Rocket, he's already out there. Thanks. So, um, but, but the Bible is very clear that there's a personal adversary who's opposed to God. Look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle isn't against appear. The enemy of God is much more powerful. He's not even with us. He's more powerful than, than us. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy, the real adversary, the real devil, wants to sift us like wheat. It also says in Luke twenty two thirty one that he wants to devour us. And if you would keep your finger where you are and go left about an eighth of an inch to 2 Corinthians, oh, less than that, about 10 pages, to 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. It says, um, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Well, that's pretty scary that there's a real adversary who hates God and hates those who God loves, hates everything about the gospel and salvation, tried to crush it when Jesus was on the cro uh, uh, heading to the cross, wanted to ruin it. Uh, that's a real devil. And uh, you, don't, you don't have to picture some guy in red pajamas with horns and a pitchfork. He can disguise himself as um, an angel of light saying things to you. Now, that's very scary. Now, the upshot is this. The enemy, the adversary, is not God. 
and does not share God's attributes. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. He's not in my house and your house at the same time. But there are, ladies and gentlemen, um, minions. There are spiritual forces at work that are mysterious and dangerous. And that brings us to our last point, this present darkness. If you look at our passage again, it talks about schemes of evil, that the devil has schemes. Uh, that means plotting. Um, you know, I, I, I remember years and years ago, somebody was doing some kind of proposal. It was like a resume or some cover letter or something like that. And it talked about all the sales that this person had done. I had, I've accomplished this. I've done this. I've met my goal, blah, blah, blah. And I've come up with all kinds of sales schemes. And that word schemes kept showing up in the letter. And I was like, eh, that makes you sound kind of sleazy. I got all kinds of sales schemes because uh, it's a freighted word. You know, it's like to trick people. And I'm like, how about strategies? That sounds a little bit better, you know. So, but my point is that schemes is a very potent word that the, that the enemy schemes against us. Um, and you can see that we're swept into some greater, grander galactic uh, theater of the, the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers um, over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, well, this present darkness, do you remember a book? Uh, called that years and years ago by Frank Perez. Who read that, by the way? I did too. I was, you know, in my early 20s, and that book came out, and I, it was This Present Darkness, and it was all about kind of the spiritual underworld, and, and uh, I, all I remember about it is like the, the demon smelled like sulfur. You remember that? Oh, and they smell like sulfur. Ooh, sulfur stinky. Evil stinky, you know? And uh, anyway, I read the book. I was surprised that I read any book at all. And I was surprised that I read a Christian book because I didn't even know there were Christian books. And, uh, but I remember uh, nothing but the smelly sulfur and that it was probably kind of corny. But what it did do for me was kind of open up my world that there is another layer of things happening out there. It's not just what we can see here. There's another layer of spiritual activity that's happening all the time all over the place in the cosmos and here. And it is in opposition to this God who loved sinners enough to save them. Um, we'll talk about that more next time. But just know that sinners in their fallenness will resist their maker, and all the powers um, that resist the gospel are against us too. But Christ will set it all right, and uh, we groan for that day. Now, to close, I've got a comparison that I saw in a book, and I just took a, an iPhone shot and stuck it up here. But I think it's such a helpful comparison. I don't know if you can see that too well or not. But notice on the left side, this is just awesome because it follows the book of Ephesians. Once we were on the left side, now we are on the right side. And it follows in, look at this. Uh, we were, chapter 2, verse 1, dead in our transgressions and sins. That's pretty helpless. Dead. But now we are alive. In fact, it even says in chapter 2, verse 5, but God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. So we were dead, now we're alive. We were under the dominion of Satan. Now what are we? Seated in the heavenly realms. We were objects of God's wrath. Now what are we? We're his glorious inheritance. We were before Christ separate from God. Now we are brought near. We were foreigns, foreigners, now we're fellow citizens. We were aliens, now we're household members. We were denied gospel mystery, it was kept hidden in ages past, but now the gospel's been revealed. 
The mystery's been shown us. We were infants, now we're maturing in Christ. We did have an old self, now we have a, a new self. We were in a dominion of darkness, now we're children of light. My point is, if God accomplished all that in faithfulness, then trust that he'll be faithful to finish the work he's begun. Part of that trusting is daily, even moment by moment, recalling this, that supernatural battles can be won. They can be. You can beat sin. You can do better. You can climb out of bad habits. You can, but you can't do it in your own power. Supernatural battles can be won, but they can only be won by supernatural strength, which God supplies, and we'll look at that more next week. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we're humbled by all this because we tend to have a very narrow view of living. We look at our own circumstances and our own little sphere, and there's a whole lot going on inside of us and outside of us, and and uh, you're working in us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would um, seize us with your Holy Spirit and show us what's true. And as we proceed in this week into next, at looking at your word, help us, God. Help us. We're um, often defeated, often discouraged, often um, humiliated by our own sin. And we need your help, Lord. So please supply it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>